The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. Well, who's ready for the word this morning? All right. Stand with me. Take your Bibles and go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. I'm going to take a break from Matthew this week because going through that verse by verse, I need more than... 35 minutes, and I don't want you guys stoning me because you're, you want tacos. So we're going to take a little break, and I think this is going to be real encouraging to you today. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 9. Do you have it? All right. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The word of the Lord. He may be seated. You know, many sermons admonish us to do things that we're not doing, right? Perhaps that you might be doing at some level, but you're not doing well. It's like pray more, read the Bible more, witness more. Well, today, you might be excited to hear that I just want to encourage you and say, well done. Keep doing what you're doing. Our text is full of imperatives given by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome He's writing about actively loving people, genuinely loving people, both inside the church and outside of the church. And so let's talk about for a moment loving people inside of the church. For my last several years here at Real Life, or no, excuse me, for my first several years at Real Life, some of you who were here in the beginning know people struggle to love one another inside the church. Our people struggle to love one another, respect one another. But I'll just be honest with you, friends, I am blown away by the way that you guys love and support one another. I'm blown away by the community that, by God's grace, has developed. For the most part, there is very little gossip. There's a clear love for the fellow saints. You know, today after church, as I've said many times, we're having a our Constitution and Bylaws meeting. And it's a major deal in a church to change your Constitution and Bylaws. But it's so interesting. As I was preparing the sermon, I thought, I don't dread this meeting. 
I don't dread this meeting. And it's not like we just have all yes men and yes women. Like you'll share your opinion and you'll vote either yes or no, whatever your heart tells you to vote. Or I should say what the Lord uh, is leading you to vote. But I know this. Our business meeting is not going to be ugly. It never, they never are. I actually look forward to our business meetings. I look forward to our deacons meetings. Like, if you want to have fun, join the deacon board. Like, we love our meetings. It's awesome. And I'll just be honest with you. I've been in ministry 20 years and I, plus, and I have never experienced this level of unity and community. And so today, as I've said... Instead of challenging you to, to do something better, I just want to say, well done. And I want to just encourage you to keep doing what you're doing. So that's inside of the church. And then Paul talks about loving those outside of the church. You know, as a citizen of America, one who loves this country, it's been heartbreaking to see the divisiveness that has grown over the last four, five, six, seven years. The hatefulness, the slander between citizens who disagree, the growing unwillingness to relate civilly to those with differing political views, religious views, beliefs, or even moral frameworks, it's, it's astonishing. And as a pastor, you know, my heart is to help the church navigate these tumultuous waters in a Christ-exalting way. So again, I'll go back a few years ago and say that we had many people who were behaving just as ugly as the world. That was clear on social media and even in person. But I feel like we've grown in this way quite a bit. I'm not on Facebook near as much because it's so toxic. But, but from what I see, I think we've grown in this area. And so I just, again, commend you for that. I, I love what 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says. Encourage one another... And build up one another just as you are doing. And so today, I just that's my thesis. Hey, you're loving one another. And I want to encourage you. And I just say, keep on doing just what you are doing. So today, we celebrate how far we've come. And I just want to admonish us to keep practicing those disciplines. So let's look at verse 9. And Paul gives us this admonishment that will set the tone for the rest of the passage. Let love be genuine. So this is the base for everything else he's going to say. He's calling us, friends, to love, but not to, to, to love just by you know, words, but we're, we're to love by declaration and by demonstration. We're to love genuinely. You know, our lives are inundated today with people who pretend to be something that they are not. Our culture encourages us in some ways to kind of mask ourselves, to live somewhat counterfeit lives. Have you noticed this? We see it with politicians. It's evident in Hollywood. And sadly, it even exists amongst many religious leaders, pastors included. And in the church, I'm afraid that we have learned to kind of fake our love for people. We say we love, but we don't actually act loving. And there's an issue there. When we don't act loving, our love is then disingenuous, the, the love that we proclaim. The, the Greek word here translated genuine means without hypocrisy. 
And so Paul is calling us to move past this sort of pretentious kind of love. A love that perhaps is self-seeking or, or showy. Like we know, those of us who have grown up in the church, we know what's expected of us. And we know in one sense how to act loving, but we can do so with great hypocrisy. Because we've gotten good at, at making people think that we're someone that we are not. So I hope today the love that I'm commending you for is genuine, and I sense that it is. Part of this genuine love, interestingly, involves hating evil and embracing good. Look at what the text says. Abhor what is evil. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. So I point that out because being loving does not mean that we don't stand up for right and wrong. You know, in the world today, they, they would say, that they would call love and tolerance, they would refer to those words or those uh, actions as being synonymous. They, they would say that love is tolerance. So that's not what the scripture teaches. It doesn't mean that we're soft on sin. It doesn't mean that we're soft on biblical justice. But it, our biblical injustice, but it does mean that we address those issues and we respond to those issues in a very God-fearing and God-honoring way. So, by the way, a caveat here, confronting evil looks quite differently inside the church and outside of the church. So we, we can talk through that later. But after laying down this general foundation about love, Paul gives us some practical, practical advice. It's like, what does this genuine love look like? And I think it'll be helpful to us. So let's go on to study for just a moment, loving how we're to love those within the church. Love for other Christian brothers and sisters. So understand, Paul is writing this to the church in Rome. And the Roman church had a mix of Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. And these groups, as you probably are well aware, had particularly in the first century, they had quite different ways in that they thought Christianity should be expressed. Some of the Jews were still convicted to follow much of the ceremonial laws that were fulfilled in Christ, you know, in, in what they ate and, and drank and, and just the way that they worshipped. The Gentiles, on the other hand, enjoyed freedom in Christ. And to make matters worse, many of the Christian Jews saw the Gentiles that were not willing to, to kind of convert first to Judaism, they, they saw them as second-class Christians, and many Gentiles saw themselves in comparison to the Jews, God's chosen people. They saw themselves as second-class Christians. Suffice to say, there was a lot of turmoil in the church. Have you ever been to a church where there's a little bit of turmoil? So Paul begins by giving a non-negotiable negotiable command to love other Christians. And then he just describes how this should look, how it must play out. We must allow those in our Christian community to live what we see here by their own convictions. Now this is something that, that we've not done well, particularly in the Pentecostal church. We take traditions that have not come directly from the Bible... And they, might, they may be good convictions, but then we have forced those extra-biblical convictions upon people who maybe like the Gentiles in the first century were able to enjoy with clear consciences little, a little more freedom in Christ. 
C.S. Lewis, in his great book, Mere Christianity, says this. He says, one of the marks of a certain type of bad man is that he cannot give up a thing himself without wanting everyone else to give it up. Now, we're not talking about black and white. The Bible is clear on some issues, you know, drunkenness, lying, uh, adultery, sexual immorality. Those things are non-negotiable. But Lewis is talking about here about extra-biblical things. He goes on to say, an individual may see fit to give up all sorts of things for special reasons, reasons, marriage or meat or cinema. But the moment he starts saying that those things are bad in themselves or looking down his nose at other people who do not use them, he is taking the wrong turn. And so genuine love, particularly within the household of God, means that we allow one another to live by their own biblical convictions. All right, And, and if they have a little bit more freedom on things that you're convicted on, about that are extra biblical commands, so be it. And as, you know, if, let's say that you have a little bit more freedom in Christ, that you, you sense that. What Paul would go on to say in Romans 14, he would say, don't rub it in your brother or sister's face that doesn't, you know, have that same freedom. So we need to be just, you get what Paul's saying here? We need to, in a sense, just be patient with one another and allow one another the grace to live out our own convictions in as much as we're living by the clear right and wrongs of the rights and wrongs of the Bible. Are you with me? All right. Look at verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. How are you doing at that? This means that we are here to to love one another in the church as we would our own family. Now this is... I consider it the South, that's debatable, but uh, I, I can, at least Southern culture, would you agree with that? And family is everything, right? You know this, it's like family in sports. Come on, you know I'm preaching. Well, the way that in which you love your family is the way in which you are to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Here's some implications of this idea of this family type of love. We're to be patient with one another. Now, some of you may argue like, I'm not patient with my own family. Well, stop it. (laughs) We listen to one another. We cooperate and work towards common goals. We forgive. How are you doing with that? You know, it's, it's a tendency today in the contemporary church to when somebody hurts your feelings, you just leave and go to another church. And then you leave and go to another church. And then you leave and go to another church. And that's tragic because you can never plant roots, which means you will not grow in your relationship with Christ. This kind of family type of love means we're generous towards one another. We take care of each other. We stand up for one another. Listen, I've heard many of you say, listen, you can say whatever you want about me, but if you talk about my family member, my son, my daughter, my husband, my wife, I'll cut you, right? Well, you know, it delights my heart. It delights my heart when I see you all take, care, take up for one another. It's like, you're not going to talk about Pastor Ben. He's a beloved church member. 
No particular reason I pointed you out. <laughs> really, that's how we should be. This is your family. It means we sacrifice for one another. It means we go without so other people can have. Then he says, outdo one another in showing honor. And I love this thought. Individuals in healthy church communities rejoice in the success of others. I mean, you think of, again, of your family. It's like when your kid, you know, let's say, gets some award at school, you don't, you don't sulk because you didn't get that reward when you were his age. Like, <laughs> Well, if you would have grown up, I would have grown up. You wouldn't have got that. You know, no. You don't do that. You rejoice. And you know, one of the things that I think the church, just in general, not just this church, but I think we need to, to learn to celebrate more one another and what God's doing in our lives. You know, when, when one ministry flourishes in this congregation, it's like other ministries type on Facebook, hey, did you see... How wonderful, you know, that the kids' ministry and uh, Millie and Joe and Awilda and, and Trish did in this wonderful taco dinner today. Man, it was a success. And I see this sometimes to where, uh, so this is a gentle correction in the midst of all this encouragement. I, I see many of you getting really excited about your own ministries online particularly. And I would encourage you to be intentional about celebrating the success of other ministries within the church. And then I'm going to take it a step further. I think we ought to celebrate other churches as well. You know, we have we, just contemporary church, again, it's, it's become almost competitive, which is really tragic. Friends, we need to celebrate what God's doing in the Baptist church down the road. Well, they're not as similar as the God. So what? They preach the gospel. If, if God is, you know, I just, there's, there's a church of God. I mean, only in Richmond would you have two churches in this neighborhood. <laughs> you go around the corner and there's this little, you know, church of God um, church there. And I, I know the, the pastor there, his name's Johnny King, just a wonderful man of God. And he was here um, just a couple weeks ago. He came, stopped by for a visit. And we were talking about some outreaches this summer. And I said, Johnny... I said, our churches are right here. Why don't we join up? Why, why we're both small churches, why are we going to spend funds? And, and, and let's just join together and show the community that we stand together. And he said, man, that sounds awesome. And so I think we're going to perhaps do that this summer. But we need to learn to honor others, to celebrate others. There's an impressive story told about Queen Elizabeth that appeared years ago in, in the devotional Today in the Word. At a reception honoring musician Sir Robert Mayer, not John Mayer, Sir Robert Mayer, on his 100th birthday, an elderly British socialite, Lady Diana Cooper, fell into conversation with a friendly woman who seemed to know her very well. Lady Diana's failing eyesight prevented her from recognizing her fellow guests until she peered a bit more closely at the magnificent diamonds that the lady was wearing, she realized she was talking to none other than Queen Elizabeth herself. Overcome with embarrassment, Lady Diana curtsied and stammered, Ma'am, oh ma'am, I'm sorry, ma'am. 
I didn't recognize you without your crown. Queen Elizabeth replied, It was so much Sir Robert's evening that I decided to leave the crown behind. Queen Elizabeth wanted the birthday boy to be honored above herself. Friends, I think we need to have this kind of honor one for another within the church. You know, often people today, they want the limelight. They want to be honored. They want to be recognized. They often cut others down even to make themselves look better, which we all know does not work. So let's be intentional about looking for ways to honor one another. Look now at verse 11 with me. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. And Paul is simply saying that when it comes to serving God and serving people, we should not be slothful. We should not be lazy. Looking to get by with as little as possible. Our love should be dispensed with diligence and this kind of eagerness to serve other believers. And we should also be, as believers, constant in prayer, especially for one another. Let me ask you, who within this church did you pray for this past week? The early church consisted of people who were devoted to prayer. You know, people often ask me, why don't you think we see the miracles like the early church experienced? And I'm like, well, I think that we want the same experience the same experiences as the early church, but we don't want to do what the early church did. We don't want to devote to prayer. We don't want to devote ourselves to the Word. We don't want to meet daily. We don't want to do those, you know, give sacrificially. And if we're not willing to do what the early church did, I just don't think we can expect the results that the early church received. Like, I honestly think, I, I believe the Lord could still do this, Remember, Peter got up and preached on Pentecost Sunday. 3,000 were added to the church. Well, I just think if we would remember before Pentecost, what were the apostles and, and all of those in the upper room, what were they doing? What? Praying. Seeking the Lord. And I just believe if we would pray with that fervency and diligence, I just believe we could see 3,000 saved. Why not? We know it's the Lord's will. It's not His will that any should perish. So let's commit ourselves to prayer. And not just praying in general, but praying one for another. You know, I love our church prayer page on Facebook. And I'm so thrilled to see many of you uh, commenting on their prayer, you know, prayed or praying. And it, can I just caution you? I've, I've cautioned you here before, but let me pause for just a moment and say, you know how when, when we interact, you know, you walk in a room, hey, how are you? I'm fine. Without even thinking about it, you just say something. I'm good. I'm fine. I'm well, whatever. You know what I mean? So you may not be fine, but it's just a conditioned response, Right? I fear that on social media in particular, I fear that when I see people, you know, somebody shares something they're going through and, you know, you'll have comments praying, 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 praying. And I just often think, are you really praying or is that just a I'm doing fine kind of response? 
I was in, I was pastoring in Greeley, Colorado, and my secretary one time was on the phone, and I was standing pretty close to her while she was talking, and I could hear this lady sharing her heart with her, and and uh, my secretary, Anisha, she gets off the phone, or, or at the end of the conversation, she said, oh, I'll be praying for you. And she hung up the phone, and she just started typing. I said, hey, I, I said, are you really going to pray for her? She thought. She goes, hey, let's pray right now. <laughs> but with just something we don't think about. So I'd encourage you to really pray for people, not just write praying on Facebook. Verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. You know, our care for the saints should go deep enough where it even touches our pocketbooks, our bank accounts. The word contribute here, uh, again, has this idea uh, of a family and a common goal. We are just, we're not just giving, but we are contributing to someone who is a part of our greater, maybe extended family. And, you know, I think it's fitting today to, to have uh, Paige with us and to talk about her ministry because, listen, when, when we're in the States and we have churches on every corner, we forget sometimes what our missionaries that are, are out there doing, the tasks that are before them. You know, I'm I, so grateful. I, I'll tell you, I took one missions trip to, to Mexico and I learned very quickly, Paige, that I'm not called to be a missionary. I'm just not. But I commend our missionaries. Do you know what they give up? The commodities of this world, of this country? The, the comfortable lives that are lived out in the Western world? And I think that we need to give to them radically so that those parts of the world can hear the good news of Jesus. There are goers and there are givers. And if you're not a goer, make sure that you are a radical, radical, radical giver. All right. By the way, next week, uh, our missionary from Kenya, Ken Shaiku, Ken from Kenya, uh, he's going to be with us. He's going to bring the word. And uh, we were able last year to build him an orf uh, orphanage for girls. And so you'll kind of get to hear about what your giving has really done. And so look forward to that. All right. That's how we love within the church. Let's talk about as I close out, loving those in the world. Remember that he's writing these words in the context of the Roman Empire. <laughs> so it's like, you could read this and go, well, come on, you didn't have Joe Biden as president. It's like, no, you had Nero <laughs> as emperor. Okay, I would take Biden. Come on. So just be careful <laughs> here. Sometimes I th say things without thinking them out. <laughs> Verse 14. <laughs> Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. You know, there is a growing militant attitude towards Christians. Is that true? Come on, move on. There is a growing militant attitude towards Christians. And I just believe, friends... That militant attitude towards us provides us with an excellent opportunity to show the love of Christ. Because any of us, I mean, anybody in the world can be nice to somebody who's nice to them. But when somebody criticizes you, criticizes you, you know, you have a differing political view and they just attack not just your view but your character. 
when you can respond in love to them, bless those who curse you. Remember, Paul said, vengeance is the Lord's. So it's not that these things are, are going to go unpunished, but the hope is, is that we can reach people's hearts who are far from God. And one of the we do that, it's not just by preaching the gospel. It certainly takes preaching the gospel. That's non-negotiable. But I love what... Um, I, I love what Jesus says. I quote it all the time as we're moving through this book of Matthew. A staple verse is found in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5, which says, says, Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works, your generosity, your love, your willingness to be patient and kind even to your enemies, that they may see those things and then glorify not you, but your Father who is in heaven. So I would just say again that militant attitude towards us in our Christian values gives us a wonderful and perhaps peculiar opportunity to love our enemies like never before in this country. Luke 6, 27. But I say to you, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Do you hear that? Do good to those who hate you. And let me just remind you, we're to do these things genuinely. Because I thought sometimes, you know, somebody's done something really bad to me and I just want to send them an Olive Garden gift card to stick it to them. You know, <laughs> take that. I'm human too. Love speaks well of its persecutors. Wow, how difficult is that? That's what we're called to. And we're not just called to it. We're empowered to this by the Holy Spirit. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Which means we're called to take time and to sympathize with other people. Friends, we're so engaged in our own lives. We live in such a individualistic cultures that we see hurting people. We hear stories from hurting people. And we just don't take time to sympathize with them. And you and I need to weep with those who weep. We need to help carry their burdens. This is one of the ways we need to certainly do this within the church, but also out there. Because this is the way in which we show Christ. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Which means we shouldn't be the ones out here stirring up contention. You know, I started... You know, on, on Twitter or Facebook, Instagram, whatever, I, I've started before, you know, I'll type out my post. And before I post it, I just ask the Lord, is this Christ exalting? Is it if it's something that would be the least bit contentious, is it necessary? Why am I doing this? I'm checking my motives. And more often than not, I end up deleting the text because it's pretty clear. I could probably figure that out without prayer. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly, Paul goes on to write. It means we go out of our way to take care of the marginalized. Now, I was listening to Jordan Peterson, I think it was yesterday, and he was talking about how, you know, often we stay away from these different types of people or social classes, not necessarily because we don't care about them, but because it's just socially we don't know how to respond to those people. And it, 
it's a risk. It's, it requires vulnerability. And so, like, if I have an interaction with any one of you today, I pretty much can prepare myself for that. I, I know what to expect. All right, so, I, so it's, there's no social anxiety there. But when you go out to a different social class or somebody that's been through experiences that you've never been through, it can be difficult. It can be frightening. But the Lord empowers us again to do this. You know, I love, you, you know, in the first century, it was the Pharisees and, and the Sadducees, these teachers and these religious leaders. They were seen, I mean, like the kingdom was theirs. They would let you know it. You know, we're, we're the true Christian, you know, Israelites, we're God's people, and, and we are the best of the best, we Pharisees. And what did Jesus come and say? When, when he gives his Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Not these haughty lead, leaders, but the poor and the poor in spirit. And he offers, I mean, he spends time with the sick and the outcast and the marginalized. Oh, may it be so with us. Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, and notice that, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. It's written, vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you'll heap burning coals on his head. Don't return insult for insult, evil for evil. That's difficult, isn't it? Be instead a peacemaker. Peace within a relationship really depends on two parties, right? Because some of you have family members, you have friends, and you've tried to um, act amicably in tension, but you know that some people just love conflict, don't they? Some people want to be mad. They want to be angry. They want to have a chip on their soldier, shoulder. It's like don't retaliate. Don't magnify the hatred. Be careful what you say. Listen, as James would say, more than you speak. Be slow to speak, quick to listen. Listen, we are quick to rattle off our thoughts and opinions. We listen to others. And while they're talking, we're not truly listening. We're just thinking about how we're going to respond with something more clever. It's tragic. In his commentary, uh, Dr. N.T. Wright tells about a newspaper headline that said one word, revenge. The story was a classic tale of love gone wrong. A woman whose husband ran off with her best friend had bided her time waiting for her opportunity to kill them both. Ending their lives in a way that would be most horrific, most painful, most terrorizing. It was a nasty story, but, but Wright suggests that the reason it made the front page of the paper is because we can all likely think of someone we'd like to get even with, right? No meme about that this week. <laughs> someone has done something to us, every one of us, that we've allowed to fester, probably. And if we had more courage, perhaps we would get revenge, we know that would not be the Christian thing to do. So what do we do? We live sometimes, if we're not careful, vicariously through those people in the, in the stories. And we start fantasizing, well, that could be me. Like, I could do that, right? 
And the media outlets, they know this, that if we can't carry out our revenge, then we will actually love clicking and reading about people who do. That shouldn't be the case with Christians. You know, I, I'm not legalistic. You know, I, I try not to be legalistic about anything. But, you know, I, I said several years ago that it was a great conviction to me because, you know, I love movies, but I didn't like movies unless somebody was getting blown up or, you know, whatever. I just, you know, but, but I realized this, um, and I confess my sin, and, and um, that's what we do here. But here's the thing. So, I, you know, I, I just loved, you know, any kind of, I mean, not horror, horror movies, to, to clarify, but just, you know, revenge-type movies. And I realized it came to my mind that, listen, you know, let's, The Punisher. I loved watching that show or movie. Why? Because I think people need to be punished. <laughs> and there's some people in my life, in my past, that I think I would love to punish. And so it's kind of like just resonating with me, Right? That's not good, folks. We need to truly, genuinely let our revenge, those bitter feelings go, and genuinely love one another. And if you're feeding yourself, again, not being legalistic, but if you're feeding your mind day in, day out with those shows of violence and revenge or whatever it might be, you, you might be surprised how much that is influencing your heart. So just be cautious, careful. Let's pursue peace. I'll close by just saying that the gospel is the basis for treating others in this way. You know, I have people on my street with other worldviews, political stances than me. The gospel reminds me, though, that I'm not saved because I'm smarter than those people or more moral than those people. I am who I am by the grace of God. You are who you are by the grace of God. And I'm I am who I am. You are who you are because specifically of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. The one, we're we're who we are because of the one who came and gave it all for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is the attitude that we should have towards others. Christ did not wait for us to clean ourselves up he would give his life for ours. No, while we were yet sinners. We've all been hurt by people inside and outside of the church. We've been let down. We've been criticized, lied to, antagonized. And we've experienced these things from people who we would have taken a bullet for. It's especially true as a pastor. Can't tell you how many times I've been kicked, beaten by somebody I would have given my life for. Those kind of experiences can cause us, if we're not careful, to isolate, to to cut ourselves off from other people. Have you ever thought that what's just easier, it's, it's safer if I'll just become kind of a recluse and separate myself and not be vulnerable anymore? But friends, that's not an option for Christians because we're called to do life with others. Reading a book by my dear friend, Dr. Dan Francis, it's titled Stay in the Room and it's about learning to disagree well and to invest in relationships despite the many times that we've been crushed 
by broken relationships. In there, he says that we, he says the, the way of least resistance isn't without pain. And the way of most resistant, resistance isn't without pleasure. Here's what he's saying. We could be tempted to take what seems to be the easier, easier road and cut ourselves off from others. But that road isn't without pain either. And I'll tell you, the end is not near as pleasurable. So I would argue that pursuing deep and meaningful relationships, even at the risk of hurt and betrayal, it's a path of great pleasure. And it's the one that God's called us to. So as a community, we have grown tremendously in showing love one for another. And I think showing love towards those in the world. Keep doing what you're doing. May the Lord continue to work through our lives. Let's pray. God, help us to love more genuinely than ever. Help us to love radically one another. Help us to be forgiving, magnanimous, patient, kind, as you've called us to be. Let us work for peace in as much as it is dependent upon us. When confrontation needs to happen, let us speak the truth in love. May we build one another up within this community. Celebrate one another's victory. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And may you receive the glory for it all. Thank you for your grace in the lives of our members. And may we continue to grow in that grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.